for, for us as believers. So you stay with me, and, and I'll do my best to elucidate. Um, let me begin reading at verse 13. <clears throat> I'll read through verse 15. This is Romans 7, verses 13 through 15. We're going to take a look at uh, verse 15 tonight. Um, but I thought it might be good to read the context. Here we go. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 15 will be under our examination tonight, but let's, uh, let me remind you of something that I was saying or seeking to explain last week. The, um, the age-old debate that has existed uh, around Romans 7 has to do with what kind of man is Paul describing in these verses, that is, verses 13 through 25. Is he describing an unregenerate man? Is he describing a regenerate man? And if he's describing a regenerate man, is he describing a mature regenerate man? A couple of weeks ago, I gave you what I thought was a, um, a, a very comprehensive argument, fail-safe, uh, impregnable uh, argument, that indeed um, what Paul is describing here is the experience of every believer. Uh, he is describing a regenerate man here, and uh, that is very important, and I think you're going to see, at least hopefully see some of the importance tonight, or a little bit of the importance, and we'll uh, uh, show you more as we keep looking at this passage. But um, last week I said to you that uh, the... The, the, uh, the other argument that Paul is describing a re an unregenerate man finds its best case in verse 14. That is, uh, the, the part of the Christian community, and, and, and brothers, I, I mean, my gang, I'm talking about good, sound, solid folks who, are, um, who would suggest that Paul couldn't be talking about a regenerate man. And the, the, one, the, the, the best reason that they offer for their position is found in verse 14 when Paul says, uh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, and here it is, sold under sin. And what um, the, um, that camp is suggesting is, whereas Paul in chapter 6 suggests uh, that he is a slave to righteousness. Um, uh, verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. And he goes on to talk about uh, how he is, um, he's alive to righteousness and dead to unrighteousness. How could someone who said, has said that only a few paragraphs later say something like, I am sold under sin? It seems to be a contradiction, that Paul is contradicting himself, that is, if he is describing the regenerate man. 
And verse 14 is the argument that is used so frequently. Now, what I tried to do last week is suggest to you that um, what he says in verse 14 is not inconsistent um, with the fact that he's describing a regenerate person. For my money, um, as a regenerate man, I can look at my own battle with sin and I can say the same thing. I'd be glad to say the same thing. I'd be happy to say the same thing. In, in the battle that I, I wage, I'm sold under sin. Um, I, I am subject to a power that, that I, in and of myself, cannot effectively resist. Um, I struggle. Uh, I desire to be free from some of those, um, those influences. But I am... Um, I have not in any way arrived at some kind of complete success. There are, there, are, um, there are things in me that I hate. Um, my, my distrust of God, my, uh, my, um, uh, my hardness of heart, my... Uh, my, my love of the world, pride, uh, my, my, um, my consumption with self. There, there, there are parts about me that I hate them when I see them, and I see them all too frequently. Um, and I cannot, in and of myself, rid myself of those things. In fact... Um, you know the statements that Paul makes later, uh, statements like he makes in um, Philippians 3, uh, a very familiar passage where he says, I have not arrived yet, but uh, he says, not that I have already uh, attained or, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not perfect. You know, I, there is sin. I, I'm saying this is more than that. Most unregenerate people would say, yeah, 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 I, I'm a sinner. This is more than that when I say I'm sold under sin. I, I'm saying that there is a battle that I wage. There are things about my, that battle that absolutely distress me uh, in my own waging of that battle. I am, I am not simply saying, oh, yeah, well, we, you know, we're all sinners. Um, I, I'm suggesting that any man who is honest with his own heart, will say the same thing. Any man honest with his own heart, describing the battle that he wages on, on a daily basis with his own sinful inclinations, I'm suggesting to you, would say the same thing, I'm sold under sin. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's not a, a contradiction of a regenerate man. That's the very evidence of a, of a, um, um, of a regenerate man. For instance, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know of any regenerate, excuse me, I don't know of any unregenerate man who would ever assess himself that way. I mean, you have to have um, leadership from the Holy Spirit to arrive at this place. That is, that I'm sold under sin. Nor would he ever, that is, nor would an unregenerate man ever call the law spiritual. It's only a regenerate man who would who would, number one, call the law spiritual and then come to the conclusion that this is what I am. 
only a regenerate man would come to the place where he recognizes that sin uh, is way too dominant in his life. Uh, Unregenerate men don't have that big of a... Sin for them is not that big of a deal. So what I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that whereas verse 14 is often used as an argument against Paul's describing unregenerate man, I want to suggest to you that verse 14 eliminates the possibility that he could ever be describing anything but a regenerate man. Did you get that? I'm saying that verse 14 is not an argument against Paul's describing a regenerate man. I'm saying it's an argument for that. No unregenerate man would ever assess his soul this honestly, this starkly. Only a regenerate man could, could, could look at his soul and, and, and grieve over the fact that he lives in a certain bondage. To sin. That, that can only be a regenerate man. Now, that was really last week. We come now to verse 15. And what you get in verse 15 is Paul now describing the kind of life lived by the person that he described in verse 14. That is, he is describing what it means to be sold under sin. Verse 15, you'll notice, starts with the word for, which, which always implies that he's continuing his argument. It's, uh, it's a continuation of his argument. It's tied to the previous statement. And uh, Paul is, is going on to describe for us this life that is experienced by the regenerate man who realizes he's sold under sin. And what you get, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 15 is a marvelous statement of frustration and disappointment in his own, his own um, um, performance. Paul is perplexed at his own performance. He says in verse 15, For what I am doing, I don't understand. By the way, the, the, the Greek word there is the word gnosko. It's the normal word to know it. That is... Um, uh, what I'm doing, I don't know. That is, there is a mental disconnect that's going on in the, in the Apostle Paul because he watches himself in, in, his, in his performance and says, I am doing things that, that I, I don't recognize. I don't know. I don't understand. And I, I think the word understand is is very helpful in trying to, um, to get what Paul is. He, is. he is perplexed. He is frustrated. He is disappointed. What he's, I, I, I don't understand why I am doing what it is that I'm doing. I don't even understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But, you know, part of the problem, ladies and gentlemen, that, that I think... Um, one of the reasons that we are so perplexed, you know, and we get so frustrated over our performance is, I think part of the problem is, is that sin has, has, has bewitched us 
into um, uh, estimating uh, our performance at a much higher level than we can actually perform. Uh, that is, part of our frustration, and we, uh, when we cry out, oh, you know, the good that I would, I do not do in the very good life. Part of that frustration is, I think sin has already done its work in part by convincing us that we're at a much higher level of spiritual attainment than we really are. And so we get uh, so disappointed because we didn't uh, perform up to our own standard. Well, part of that disappointment, ladies and gentlemen, is you aren't where you are. You're not where you think you are. And that's, that's part of the effects of sin in our souls. We're not the spiritual giant that we're somehow convinced we are. We, we haven't made it there, you know. Gang, um, may I say something? I mean, I need to insert something that's somewhat of a... A digression. Um, but it's really not. I mean, it's, it's, it's oh so germane to the argument. But gang, Paul's statement here um, in verse 15, which is one that seems to be fairly familiar, is, um, is a statement that disallows any kind of defeatist or, or indifferent view of indwelling sin. It's, it's, um, it, um, here's the possibility. Oh, okay, well, I've got this sin, I've got indwelling sin, which we all recognize. Well, uh, because I do, it's no big deal. Um, you know, we, we've all got it, so you might as well not make a big, uh, big deal out of it. Just move on and carry on because, you know, um, it's just a part of uh, the Christians. What I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, what Paul says in verse 15 disallows that kind of indifference of our sin. And I'll show you why. You will notice that he says, The good that I would uh, um, for what I will do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Guys, the idea that I'm not living up to my own standards is not simply a, re- oh, well, you know, it's all, it's, it's, it's all our problems, so, you know, don't get too exercised about it. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. I do have a fr- sense of frustration. I do have a di- sense of disappointment. And when I fail my own standards, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Th- this, this argument does not allow you to come to the conclusion that sin's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. So much so that the Apostle Paul would say, I hate it when I see it in me. I hate it. And, and that kind of hatred is also a part of this argument, ladies and gentlemen. So don't miss that. Yes, he is saying... There's a certain frustration that I have. There's a certain perplexity about my own soul. But when I fail standards that I know to be spiritual standards, I hate that. I hate it. And, and one of the evidences, ladies and gentlemen, again, that Paul is describing himself as a regenerate man, is that only a regenerate man hates his sin. Uh, for us, for the regenerate man who is who is overtaken with the beauty of holiness, our failings do grieve us. You know, um, we don't drive down the expressway and, and uh, um, do ugly, horrible things to the other drivers and um, write that off as just some kind of, well, you know, it's just, just, a, it's just the way of humanity. 
No, ladies and gentlemen, our failures we hate. Now, that's somewhat of a digression, but I, Paul is not teaching us to adopt some kind of defeatist attitude that, you know, we've all got this sin principle, we've all got this indwelling sin, so there's not much we can do about it, just live with it. No. He is describing a battle that is going on in his own soul. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But guys, don't you identify with that? I mean, doesn't that resonate truly in your souls? By the way, I mean, I I hope the the part about the good that I would, I do not. I hope that resonates. But I also hope it resonates that when I do, that when I do fail, I hate it. Because sin is not a small deal. It is a big deal. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there are parts of me that are so exemplary that everybody in this church ought to imitate me. And if you give me a couple of three months, I I can name one. (laughs) Um, But there are parts of me that are just exemplary. Not many. But there's another part of me that I hope you never find out about. I hope you never see. You know, one of my greatest fears is that I'm going to do something behind the wheel and I'm going to, it's going to turn up a member of this church. And I'm going to act like a donkey behind the wheel and then pull up beside him and it's Janetta. <laughs> oh, there goes Pastor Young. Uh, uh, the one that just did that. Um, th- there are parts of me, ladies and gentlemen, yes, that are... That I, that I think I can point you to. Then there's another part about me. That, that I, I hope you never see. The parts of my personality, ladies and gentlemen, are delightful. Parts of it are disgusting. And, and you know, the, the degree of disgusting and delightful varies from person to person, you know. But part of me, you know, I hope you... I hope you see, but the other part, I don't want you to see. I experienced the same inner struggle, the same inner tension, the same inner perplexity, the same inner struggle as I see being carried on in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, guys, um, not only does Paul disapprove of what he himself does, but let me underscore it again. He hates it. It's not just an an indifference to his failings. He hates the fact that there are failings. And and I'm suggesting that what separates the unregenerate from the regenerate is that we hate our sin. Not that we don't do it, but we hate it when when it is done. Now, what I want to do for my, my last 15 minutes with you is that I want, to, I want to, what I think this is, what I think verse 15 is, is a glorious piece of, of biblical psychology. It is, a, it is, a, um, it is an insight. It, it, there are insights in it that I think should help us all function with our own selves. So stay with me. I want to, I want to point out four things in terms of the, the, I guess you would call it the application of what he is saying about verse 15. Here's number one. I want you to notice that he does not say, everything that I do is wrong. He does not say that. 
This is not a presentation of some kind of defeatism. Romans 7 is not teaching that there is never any victory in the Christian life. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying every time I make any decision, it's always wrong. He's not saying that. So that's not who I am. He is not describing himself, nor is he describing me, nor is he describing you as someone who is always doing wrong. However, number two, nor does he say occasionally or sometimes, I really blow it. It's rare. It's not very often. But, you know, on, on some strange occasions... Uh, when my blood sugar's low, you know, I, I just have a bad moment. He is not saying that everything that I do is wrong. Nor is he saying that I only perform occasional wrongnesses. Guys, what I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is, he is, he is denouncing Two extremes. One extreme is the defeatist extreme that says everything that I do is wrong. And the other extreme, the other end of the spectrum, is a position that says, well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a perfectionism. Gang, I had a young woman say to me one time that she never sinned. And um, I, I tried to investigate what she was saying. Is She said, well, I, I, I commit iniquity. But I never sin. Now, that's what you call a word game. Um, but she, is of the, she has drawn the conclusion that she never sins. Paul says, not everything that I do is bad, but I'm not an occasional um, wrongdoer either. Folks, Romans chapter 6, which I'm sure you remember because it was so marvelously handled months ago. But uh, Romans 6 says that you and I will ultimately win. Romans 7 says that on the road to victory, there will be tactical defeats. And some of them could be huge. I, I simply allude to the story I told you last week about the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Peter in Galatians chapter 2. My friends, that is a classic illustration of a spirit-filled, mature, ongoing, mature believer who blew it and blew it badly. Romans 6 assures us we're going to win. Romans 7 reminds us that on the road to that victory, my friends, we are going to, to experience some things that are some real spiritual blowouts. This, this unbiblical perfectionism that is rampant, not rampant, it's out there, I think has done grave damage to the presentation of the gospel. By the way, have you ever had this experience? I mean, I, I'm telling you, I've had it more than once. Uh, can I say a dozen times? But I presented the gospel to people and shared with them their need for Jesus Christ. And they would look at me and they'd say, well, you know, I agree with you, but I can never be that. I can't be a Christian because I can't live perfectly. 
And I said, oh, oh, no, no, you got it wrong. We don't live perfectly. But in their minds, a call to Christianity is a call to live in perfection. I'm saying that ungodly, unbiblical perfectionism does damage to the presentation of the gospel because we've communicated to people that if you become a Christian, you've got to be perfect. No, ladies and gentlemen, number one, Paul does not say everything that he, do, that he does is wrong. That's an extreme. But the other extreme is that I never do any wrong. That my wrongs are occasional, you know, every now and then. You know, um, I, I, I know of a Christian leader whose name you would recognize immediately, every one of you, who made the statement in public that he hadn't sinned for the last ten years. I'm telling you, the, the, the brother doesn't understand Romans 7. <laughs> he doesn't understand a healthy piece of biblical psychology. Because that, that's doing damage to the ongoingness uh, of uh, the spread of the gospel. Now, that's number one, he does not say everything that I do is wrong. Nor does he say, my wrongnesses are just occasional blips, um, exceptions to the rule because basically I live in perfection. No. Now, but number three, I want you to notice in verse 15, for what I am doing, he does not say um, what I am thinking. That is, he's not referring only to his thought life. Um, very frankly, it is a very strong word in the Greek. Uh, it is a word that has ergomai in it, and it's uh, 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 intensified with the, the prefix kata, kata ergomai. It is when I work, when I do, I even do things. This is not confined simply to failings of my thought life. It includes acts. A-C-T-S. Um, guys, Paul is stating that his doing contradicts his knowing. Knowing what is righteous while doing what is unrighteous. Anybody else relate to that or am I the only pervert in the room? Knowing what is right to do, but doing that which is inconsistent with what I know is right. What I do, he says, I don't understand. What I am doing is at cross purposes with what I'm believing. What I am doing is at cross purposes with what I know. So much so that in the doing of it, it produces perplexity in me. Because I know better. Such that my, my knowing doesn't produce right doing, which it ought to. But it doesn't. Now, and then finally, that is, that was my, um, number, number one, he does not 
say everything he does is wrong. Number two, he does not say it's occasional. So he's avoiding both of those ends of the spectrum. Then he, he even goes on to include that these, that these blowouts are in actions, not just in his thought life. You know, we men think that we're, we're really, uh, you know, very, um, very uh, uh, obedient. It's just those, our thoughts. You know, we just have that lustful thing every now and then. But otherwise, you know, we're really doing good. Paul doesn't say that. This is more than a thought life. This is in his behavior, in his conduct, in his choices. And then fourthly, what, what really <laughs> um, I think is a fair assessment and what really stirs me to the most amount of concern is that what he appears to be doing with verse 15 he appears to be speaking of his life with somewhat of an overview. That is, he's speaking in general terms. Generally speaking, this is what I am. Generally speaking, I do not do what I know. I mean, I'm doing things that I don't understand. When I look at my life, says Paul, generally speaking, this is how I would assess it. You know, here's what I would say. I, uh, I do not, uh, I, I'm doing what I do not understand for what I will to do that I don't practice, but what I hate that I do. He steps back, takes a look at his life and says, you want, you want me to summarize it for you? Here it is. Generally speaking, this is what I am. Want an overview, a summary of my life? That's what it is. Um, basically, I think I often do things which do not come from some rational process of, uh, of thinking things through. I just do them. You know, guys, um, I was in a setting just recently where um, uh, I had a person uh, <laughs> attack me, and I mean with both barrels. Um, it was a very, very pleasant, uh, very harmonious, uh, even an enjoyable um, occasion. And all of a sudden, bam, I got it with both barrels. I thought that I had, I mean, in fact, I, I felt like I had even been deceived because I was asked to come to this meeting to talk about a certain subject. And so I came, and indeed, that was the subject that we talked about. And it was, it was interesting to talk about and helpful to talk about and enjoyable to talk about. And then once that was over, this is the only warning I got. Well, that's the first thing I wanted to talk to you about. But let me talk to you about the second thing. And then, bam! Uh, I was sitting in a booth in a restaurant. And... Um, uh, this person came after me with a diarrhea of words. Um, this person was upset about a decision that had been made by the elders, by the session. And I represent them. And so I got forked, folks, uh, pretty, pretty good. And um, I want you to know that I handled it beautifully for about the first four minutes. And then I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, before I knew it, before I knew it, I was leaning across that table 
And I, and I was locked in. And there were horns that were clashing. It was not the truth. I told this person that they didn't know what they were talking about. And I, I'm telling you, without basically a moment's notice, that is, I mean, I didn't get much notice for this attack. I got a, now let's move to the second point, wham! Um, but without, without, without really ever a thought, without really a, okay, Jimmy, here's what you need to do, fight back. It wasn't, I, I never thought that. I never thought, okay, Jimmy, control yourself. Uh, don't say a word. I didn't think anything. All I did was, boom! And my actions were completely contrary to my thinking. I walked out of there, and by the way, uh, um, later on, apologized. Uh, told this person that I have no right to treat people without respect, and I don't. Um, the, the facts uh, I, it were indeed wrong, but I still have no right. But my, my point is, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want you to know something. I am sold under sin. I live under a bondage. I have forces within my life over which I by myself cannot rid myself. And I... What I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. I absolutely concur with the Apostle Paul. And I see it growing out of my breast without much warning on occasion. I can be in the beauty of Christian fellowship <laughs> and have somebody do something in a car that I can, I'm telling you, I've already referred to that three times tonight. You must think I'm quite a driver. And uh, please don't get it close to me. And, and would you please put a Gracie Van bumper sticker on your car? <laughs> I am a member or a regular attender. Of, <laughs> it would help me out tremendously. Um, but, I, you know, I, and I, I, I go away from those things and I, you know, your, your heart is, is pounding and your blood pressure is up. Or am I the only one? No, ladies and gentlemen, it's a good thing for you to know that. Because um, I want you to know no man comes to the bankruptcy of spirit like that unless it is authored by the Holy Spirit. It's only we who have been ministered unto by the Holy Ghost of God who would come to such a conclusion about our souls and say, I hate it. So if Paul is speaking about a Christian, and he is, then um, do you see what that means for us? Well, let me tell you one thing it means. 
It means that I go to Christ to be justified. And I must also go to Christ to be sanctified. I, I by faith, lay hold of my union with Christ on a daily basis. Law, performance, good behavior, good works cannot justify me, nor can law, that is, willpower, nor can it sanctify me. I'm not saved by works. And I am not sanctified by them either. I am sanctified more and more as I lay hold by faith to my union in Jesus Christ. He is not only the wisdom of God and my righteousness. He is also my sanctification. And so, my friend... When you come to this place, and I'll repeat this one, but when you come to this place where you finally see things as does the Apostle Paul, and you say, Wretched men that I am! Don't ever then say, What will deliver me from the body of this death? Because it is, Who will deliver me? From the body of this death. It is not a what. It is a who. Our only hope of deliverance is Christ Jesus in all of his beauty. Let's go.